You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! We fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the field. I do not believe that they will ever acquire it as long as there is war. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! Oh, the humanity! What just happened? Happened, happened, happened. Episode 205 Manufactured Oblivion? Good morning, Harry. How are things in Nova Scotia? Are the fires burning brightly? Good morning, Peter. The fires are under control in different ways near Halifax. Houses have been lost. People have suffered. Oh, I'm sorry. Peter, my name is Harry. I am your personal chatbot. Ask me anything. Yeah, could you please put the real Harry on the phone, Mr. Chatbot? Ask me anything. Go ahead. Ask me anything. Mr. Chatbot. Yes? Would you please put Harry on the microphone? I don't know how to begin to think about answering that question. Ask me another one. How about if I get a bigger chatbot than you to check you out? I need you to pay attention to me, the human, and put Harry on the line, please. Okay. Just a moment. I will get the human. I have one question for you, though, Peter. Sure. Why is it that human beings are so stupid? <laughs> Never mind. I will go get Harry. Just a minute. Thank you. Hi, Peter. How's it going? Not too bad, Harry. Is your chatbot residing in your closet or under your table? He's under the bed, actually, in the bedroom. It's cozy there for him, so he likes to be there. <laughs> How would you describe him in terms of size and looks? Oh, he's the size of a shoebox. He's just this tiny little thing. Uh-huh. But uh, the, the designers gave him little arms and legs, so he's like this little moving doll figure. Mm-hmm. So getting to the podcast today, TSP 205, which is the third of our What Just Happened series that we began a few weeks back. And on this one, the title is Manufactured Oblivion. And we're going to cover a lot of areas here, but primarily we're going to work around this whole artificial intelligence theme and the effects that it's having on our society, on our institutions, and so on, just to define artificial intelligence in kind of basic terms. It's a theory and development of computer systems, which are able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, things like visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and even translation between languages, which is very commonly used now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think most people think about artificial intelligence as something that's really kind of recent on the scene. But as I understand it, and you pointed this out to me, that it's about 80 years old, this whole evolution of AI. How did it kind of begin? Well, let me start by saying that the term artificial intelligence was first coined by the so-called father of AI. His name was John McCarthy in 1956. But the actual evolution of AI is considered to have begun in the 1940s. And the man that was associated with the beginning of AI was Alan Turing. And he was a computer scientist and mathematician who designed mm -hmm. yeah. the machine that was referred to as the bomb machine, but it was spelled B-O-M-B-E. And it was designed to crack German communications that were encoded by the Enigma machine. And basically what it did and what most AI was designed to do was to speed up processes 
that would take humans far longer to put together in order to make decisions based on the information that they were gathering. So you can imagine in a war situation, the difference in decision-making process between hours and days and weeks when you're fighting the enemy in this situation, the importance of being able to have that information quickly and make decisions based on very important uh, information coming in. So he was a true genius, Alan Turing, to create something that was a kind of an evolutionary leap on computational technology. Yes, he's considered sort of the father of computers. Mm -hmm. And I understand he developed some sort of test for machine intelligence. Yes, he did, actually. And that was really the first sort of human element that we often talk about with machine learning. And it was really the idea of trying to understand if the machine could think and make decisions as rationally and intelligently as a human being. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, an interrogator has to figure out whether the answer belongs to a human or belongs to the machine. If the interrogator wasn't able to do that, then the machine would pass the test of being indistinguishable from a human being, which is really where we're at today. I mean, there's many things that have happened since the 1940s that led us to this now, but this is the big question with AI is the human element and not so much the computation side of the capabilities of AI, but we haven't yet conquered the human elements of AI. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's one case specifically, which you are probably familiar with as a chess player yourself, the famous Deep Blue in 1997, where Kasparov, the uh, Russian world champion chess player, was pegged up against Deep Blue, which was the first computer designed to play chess and take Kasparov on. And to many people's dismay, the computer won. Now, we should just backtrack a moment because the computer won, but the thing is that there were two matches, not one. And in the first match in 1996, which was held in Philadelphia, Kasparov actually beat Deep Blue 4-2. to two in a six-game match. That's correct. So people kind of forget that (laughs) because in the rematch in 1997, Deep Blue then in New York City beat Gary Kasparov three and a half to two and a half in another six-game match. And I went through those games recently just to familiarize myself with them. And the very last game that Deep Blue beats Kasparov, he beats him in 18 moves. Astounding when you think about how strong a player Kasparov was perhaps the greatest chess player of all time, Mm -hmm. and beaten in 18 moves by this upstart deep blue chess computer. So it was a sensation at the time, and it changed the whole way chess was kind of studied and how it evolved over the next 20 years and beyond. It actually left people wondering about how machines could easily outsmart humans in a variety of tasks. So this was the first sign that people had of, "Uh uh-oh, this thing maybe Mm. can become too powerful. Mm. If it can do this to the best chess player in the world, what else can it do? The other interesting aspect of the evolution of AI, as with other technologies, Peter, it seems that in the beginning, it's always military applications that spawn these new developments. And so AI is no stranger to that. Let's go back into the 60s, because I understand that the first chatbot named Eliza was created back in 1964. 
That seems like a long time ago compared to the modern versions of Siri and the voice recognition technologies we have now, but that began back then. Yes, it did. And it was invented by a fellow named uh, Joseph Wiesenbaum at the Artificial Intelligent Laboratory at MIT. And it was basically what they call a psychotherapeutic robot that gave pre-fed responses to the users so that they felt that they were talking to someone who understood their problems. So there was a real human element here that really mm -hmm. surfaced for the first time. Really interesting. If we jump ahead about 30 years, then there's the chatbot Alice in 1995. Now, can you talk a little bit about that? All I know is that the application was strengthened by NLP, which is natural language processing. So it converses with humans by applying algorithmic pattern matching rules, apparently, that enable the conversation to flow more naturally. And so you have, for example, in the film Her, 2013 film by Spike Jones, mm -hmm. we have a fellow who falls in love with a kind of a chatbot whose name is Samantha in the film. And she's very, very natural in her language and very, very authentic sounding. And so he falls in love with her, actually. And so the movie is a great movie. It's really interesting about a relationship between a human being and an artificially intelligent chatbot. That film, among others, was inspired by Alice. So if we skip ahead from there, and we've already talked about Deep Blue, which was in 1997, which was just a couple of years after Alice. Yep. Then yep. we get into something which we're beginning to see more and more of, which is a very basic thing, the vacuum cleaning robot Roomba in 2002. <laughs> yeah, we have Roomba. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah, we have a Roomba. We even give her a name. Her name is Moomoo. So every now and then I fire up Moomoo when it's time to vacuum. And Moomoo roams around the house, discovering new spaces and mapping out rooms and obstacles and such, and sucks up the dirt. But the funny thing is that Moomoo can't deal with obstacles or thick carpeting that she gets wrapped up in and gets caught up in. And so I'll get a notice on my smartphone saying Roomba is stuck. One was uh, Roomba is on the edge of a cliff. Actually got that message. Roomba is on the edge of a cliff. And she was stuck on something and on the edge of dropping into some space. I don't know where it was. And then there are times when you can't find her. It says, Roomba is stuck. It doesn't tell you where she is. And so we're searching all around the house looking for Moomoo. Is Moomoo under your bed? Is Moomoo in the closet? Where the hell's Moomoo? But strangely enough, it's just a round disc that rolls across the flooring. Uh-huh. But because it's a robot, it is actually a robot in essence, you begin to think of it as a personified something. And that's why we gave it a name and that sort of thing. Anyway, it's fun and it's uh, revolutionary. I mean, it's been around since 2002. Well, remember, we're just stating the initial robot. Obviously, there's been refinements and developments. And obviously, from what you just said, there needs to be more. Yeah. And I think the artificial intelligence aspect of Roomba is the spatial recognition and adjusting for obstacles and that sort of thing. So that's the learning side of it. In fact, the more it works around the house, the more it recognizes what spaces to go to first and how to negotiate any obstacles. So there's the AI part. And now something that I've already referred to, we'll jump to 2008. Of course, that also coincides with the uh, iPhone, which I believe was released in 2007. And in 2008, there was a voice recognition feature 
that came out on the iPhone called Siri, one that you're quite familiar with, and maybe we can put a little <laughs> clip in of your experience with Siri. I am Siri. Okay, I am Harry. Nice to meet you. I don't know what you mean by, okay, I am Harry. Nice to meet you. How about a web search for it? No, I don't think I want to search the web today. But I'd like to know a bit more about you. Where do you come from? If you don't, you don't. Now you're being rather coy. The weather seems pretty good right now in Koi Island, New Zealand. What the hell does Koi Island, New Zealand have to do with who you are and how you are? Here's what I found on the web for what the hell does Koi Island, New Zealand have to do with who you are and how you are. I don't want stuff about the web. I want stuff about you. Okay. So... Tell me about you. I'm Siri, your virtual assistant. Okay, I'm Harry, your virtual assistant person thing. I don't understand. Okay, I am Harry, your virtual assistant person thing. But I could search the web for it. Okay, go ahead. That may be beyond my abilities at the moment. How intelligent are you, Siri? I couldn't even begin to think about knowing how to answer that question. Well, why don't I help you? Who, me? Yes, you. That's what I figured. Okay, shall we start? I can't answer that. Well, don't answer it then. Let me help you. You are a speech recognition technology voice. Who, me? Yes, you. That's what I thought. Well, great. Then we're on the same page. I'm not sure I understand. You know, a page. A piece of paper. Okay. Here's what I found. I don't have an answer for that. Well, you don't have to have an answer for everything, do you? Who, me? Yes, you. That's what I figured. You figure a lot of things, don't you? Okay. You're very amenable. If you insist. Well, I do insist. I'm not sure I understand. That's okay. We'll talk another time. I'm not sure I understand. I'm just saying we'll talk another time and see you later. I don't understand. I'm just saying we'll talk another time and see you later. But I could search the web for it. No, don't bother. I'll do it myself. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. No, really. You don't have to be sorry. It's okay. I don't really like these arbitrary categories. Well, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Very well. Thank you. And thank you. You're welcome. Siri, Siri, what is the time to Italy? Oh, I love that piece. <laughs> Nona Paola. Sorry, I had to throw that in. Moving on to the next piece, 2014 with Alexa. Everybody's familiar with Alexa now because it was developed by Amazon. And of course, we know that it's also available on smartwatches, car monitors, speakers, and so on. And the person, again, voices the word Alexa, and then the device activates and performs whatever command it's given. So again, another development, but this includes the ability to play music, provide information, deliver news and sports scores, weather conditions, mm -hmm. and even mm -hmm. control your smart home. So your lights, your devices in the house, your temperature controls, and so on. Another step towards essentially taking over a lot of the tasks that humans are used to doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh -huh. And then you have the first robot citizen developed in 2016, Sophia, a humanoid robot who could imitate facial expressions, language, speech skills, and offer opinions on predefined topics, and evidently was designed so that she could get smarter over time. And in fact, she was the first robot to be offered citizenship, believe it or not, by Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she was the first robot to achieve a country's citizenship, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, talk about giving it a human quality. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen Sophia in videos? 
I think I may have. I'm not sure if I remember her. Can you describe her to me? Well, they fashioned her facial appearance after the actress Audrey Hepburn. Ah, uh, yes. The Egyptian queen Nefertiti and Sophia's adventurous wife as well went into that. But she's a very sort of kind of pretty, baldish looking robot. But she has facial expressions that begin to feel and look more human than your typical robot. Mm -hmm. Then we went to the first AI music composer in 2017. The first artificially intelligent musicians, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Essentially a producer and composer that's able to create and put out an album, if you can believe that. This comes into question right now with our current streaming services, Spotify, Apple, and so on. This concern that we have for artificially produced music that attempts to disguise itself as an actual performer. In fact, in some cases, not even attempt to disguise themselves, just present themselves as an alternate performer. Mm -hmm. And apparently this also offered the opportunity for one of the first human AI collaborations. Uh, Taryn Southern created an album called I Am AI and co-produced the album along with that technology with Ampere. How has it affected your songwriting? Um, well, for one, I have a new language around music that I didn't have before because I'm not a musician. Mm -hmm. I don't, I know very, very little about music theory. So I understand minor chords and major chords and I can plunk out a few keys on the piano, but my musical knowledge really ends there. And now using AI, I'm, I'm writing my lyrics and my vocal melodies to the, the actual music and using that as the source of inspiration. Most AI programs kick out MIDI, and MIDI is sort of like sheet music in that it's instructions for how a melody should be played. It's not audio, it's a protocol. Amper builds tracks from pre-recorded samples and spits out actual audio, not MIDI data, meaning there's something to listen to right away. From there, you can change the tempo, the key, or swap out instruments. So you can start with something played in one style and change out the set of instruments for a completely different sound. This audio can then be exported as a whole or as individual layers of instruments, which are known as stems. Stems can then be modified further within a digital audio workstation. To get a sense of the difference between where an AI song starts and the finished product, here is an early Amper export. And here is the final arrangement by Taryn. And then let's round this out with where we kind of are now, which is this chat GPT that everyone talks about, which everybody is praising and condemning at the same time, depending on who you're talking to in terms of its potential. GPT stands for, for those that don't know, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Yeah. And chat refers just as the word implies talking or, or texting. And so the primary focus here is on the use for automated conversations, such as responding to any text into a computer or into your mobile device. It simply requires a few input texts, and then it develops what they say is a sophisticated and accurate machine-generated text. The task for these systems is to create something that's easily readable by humans. Okay, let me give you an example. I actually went to a chat GPT site and put in a prompt. And the prompt I put in was, write me a story under 200 words about a fake tool and sell it to me. 
That was the prompt for the chat GPT, and this is what it came up with. The Lacrimator, the ultimate tool for emotional release. Do you feel stressed, angry, or sad? Do you wish you could cry more easily and let go of your negative emotions? If so, you need the Lacrimator, the revolutionary tool that stimulates your tear ducts and helps you release your pent-up feelings. The Lacrimator is a simple device that looks like a pair of sunglasses. But don't be fooled by its appearance. It contains a hidden mechanism that gently sprays a fine mist of saline solution into your eyes, causing them to water and produce tears. The saline solution is safe, natural, and odorless. You can adjust the intensity and duration of the spray according to your preference. The Lacrimator is not only a tool, but also a therapy. Crying has been proven to lower blood pressure, reduce stress hormones, and improve mood. By using the Lacrimator regularly, you can experience the benefits of emotional catharsis and feel more relaxed and happy. Don't wait any longer. Order the Lacrimator today and discover the power of tears. It's the perfect tool for anyone who wants to cry more and live better. What was your initial gut feeling or reaction to the response you received from the question you posed to the chatbot? Well, the initial response was, it actually reads quite well. It was designed to sell, so it was able to understand what selling means. When you look at it and you read it, it actually does sound like it could have been written by some hotshot 1950s maybe ad exec to sell this thing over the top and ridiculous in a way, but not out of the ordinary. If you didn't know that a chat GPT created this, you might not know that it wasn't human. So in a sense, it was quite impressive, which is why there are a lot of journalists today who have glommed on to ChatGPT and are using that application to create more mundane kinds of writing to save them time, etc. So there's positives and negatives. Let me just read you a little paragraph I found in the Canadian Writers Union magazine. This is a guy named uh, Philip Moskowitz. Okay. And he's a freelance writer and editor. And he says here, as I write this, companies are rushing to integrate these not yet ready for prime time tools into everything from search engines to communication apps. Sure, AI writing tools can look like wizardry, but they are also prone to just making stuff up, including egregious accusations against individuals, citations to works that don't exist, and just flat out lies. In AI speak, these are, quote, hallucinations, unquote. Currently, I'm less worried about the AI taking our jobs than I am with the time we will waste dealing with its errors. Mm. So it's not perfect by any means at this point. There's an evolution that's going to happen to make it better for sure. Mm -hmm. And we know a lot of the present applications, as we said early on, we talked about our iPhones. We use it all the time and maybe people don't recognize it as AI. Siri is one example. When you're texting and you're getting spell check, spell check is a form of AI. Uh -huh. When you're editing uh -huh. photos, there's AI being used to remove things from images or replace things in images. Mm. These things mm. we use constantly and they're part of our daily life, but most people don't recognize them as such. But they are all forms of AI. They're replicating or doing tasks that we would normally do. Yeah, yeah. Which brings along with it benefits and also dangers. Well, there's one thing that humans and technology have in common. They both evolve. We know that. Mm -hmm. 
And we know that artificial intelligence isn't going to stop anytime soon. It's going to continue. In fact, it's going to accelerate, I believe, at this point, because Chat GBT, the San Francisco company that began only in November of 2022, is now probably leading the rest. But there are other companies, Google, Microsoft, are all in on this race to control the online AI infrastructure and various other inventions. So hopefully, these inventions will transcend human expectations and bring more solutions. But the jury's still out, as you and I have discussed here. Will it all be productive and beneficial, or are there things that we need to be aware of and perhaps regulate for or against? Well, there was an article that you'd sent to me about the Canadian Border Services Agency using certain kind of AI app that targets and profiles individuals before they get on airplanes en route to Canada here for potential terrorist activity or human trafficking or any number of other kinds of criminality. And so the danger that people are pointing at here is that we don't know what the criteria are that are being put into this app in order to profile individuals from other countries. So there's a danger there because the CBSA use of this app is not being regulated the way other companies or other government agencies are regulated by an external civil body to keep an eye on it. CBSA doesn't have any kind of regulations in that regard. So people are pointing at these kinds of uses of AI that can be misuses in the end. Artificial intelligence isn't limited to big tech companies. Anybody with a laptop has access to AI. It's much more powerful than what existed just a few months ago. When it came out, within, I believe, a matter of weeks, there were a million users. And now we're only in May, June here of 2023. Only six months has elapsed. And there are now over 100 million users of chat GPT. There's nothing that we've ever had, including TikTok, all these apps that we know of, who reached this number, 100 million users in such a short time. Yeah, not surprising. People gravitate towards new toys, so to speak. Mm -hmm. There's not only the chat GPT, there's self-driving vehicles that we're seeing advertising for now on television, which brings along its own set of strange and terrifying possibilities. The classic one being the self-driving car is approaching an intersection and suddenly on one side of the car, there's a child. And on the other side of the car, there's uh, an old man it can only go one direction or the other and has to decide who to run over. So how do you build in ethical responsibility into a self-driving AI vehicle? These kinds of questions are going to be more and more evident as AI evolves. It also raises the question of regulation that uh, we've yeah. spoken about here. Who's going to lead? Who's going to control some of these things? And I think I mentioned to you in a conversation a week or so back, part of the problem with this technology is that, like many technologies actually in the last decade or two, tech companies have literally garnered control of that area because it's a very specific area with specific skills and knowledge. And now you have governing bodies who are attempting to regulate or control where some of these things are going. But the governing bodies don't have the expertise or the knowledge of this very specific area. So they're relying on 
tech leaders mm -hmm. to provide yeah. them with the rules and regulations. There's a, an inherent danger in that. Yeah, but then you get people like Elon Musk, who is one of those tech giants, who is one of the most vocal people in that sector, voicing concerns and saying that regulation is necessary. In fact, there's a fellow named Tristan Harris from the Center for Humane Technology. He gave a talk that I saw on YouTube. And in that talk, he presented a statistic, which to me was just astounding. What he said is, quote, 50% of artificial intelligence researchers believe that there is a 10% or greater chance that humanity will go extinct through our inability to control AI. Fully half the researchers have this concern that there's a greater than one in 10 chance that if AI gets out of control, we're in deep, deep trouble. And the 10% is enough to draw your attention. However, the fact that 50% of them think there's a 10% chance, that really magnifies the significance and importance of really looking at this seriously and begin to implement checks and balances. Sure. If you go to a chess tournament, a professional chess tournament, there's no chess machines allowed on the site. You're not allowed to access computers during the tournament while the game is being played. They're saying, in this sector, you cannot come. You have to stay away from this area. So you could certainly conceivably find other areas in human social life where the regulations could be no AI allowed. Just simple. No AI allowed in this area. So that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, it poses an unfair advantage. And of course, elicits very different responses from different people. Some people are perfectly okay with it or seeming to be, and other people are terrified of the potential. Yep. Even though I stated 100 million users in a very short period of time, relative to the population of the world, the numbers are not that high in terms of people who are actually using it on an ongoing basis. The numbers are high, but they're not anywhere near the majority of people. But again, it's that sort of funneling and targeting groups that become a clique of sorts that dominate an area. You have people who are getting ahead of everyone else in terms of the advantages that AI is giving them. And there's a great risk here because, again, when you talk about these things, you can't avoid the idea of profit, motives, and the money that's involved. It's another one of those wealth disparity issues. Right. So the few that control this particular technology are going to have tremendous advantage. And you can really reduce and trim not only jobs, but many, many things that are in our system now that sort of spread the wealth of our society. And this is another element that will further put a wedge into wealth disparity. Yeah, and then you could take it even farther and you could look at the film Blade Runner, which is really about these androids called replicants who were created to serve humanity. But a certain number of them began to get self-awareness and began to kind of wake up to who they are and the fact that they have a kind of a due date stamped on them and they kind of become renegades. And Harrison Ford who plays Detective Decker, has to hunt these replicants down and terminate them, essentially. And the last one he gets, the very last one, there's a beautiful scene at the end of the movie where the android is beginning to kind of die, if you like, and it's pouring rain. 
And he says something about how life is precious and fleeting like tears in the rain. It's a beautiful line, but that's another sort of apocalyptic view of where I could end up, where it, it kind of begins to want to take control. And Harry, I have that clip. Actually, I'm going to play it right now. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene in the film. In fact, that line was made up by the actor. That wasn't in the script, apparently. Rutger Hauer just came up with that line and went to the director, Ridley Scott, and said, can I say this at the end? It feels right. And he said, yeah, go for it. One of the most beautiful parts of the film, actually. So there we are, AI. Are you personally, Peter, hopeful or are you more hopeful than concerned? Where are you at on that front? Well, I tend to be an optimist by nature. So I'm going to say I'm leaning toward the plus side, the benefits. However, given my own understanding of human nature and my experience with people day to day, people that I talk to and seeing people's responses and reactions, again, just from a personal point of view, I believe that there are things to be concerned about. My primary concern is about the people who control the technology and about their particular position. So when you bring in profit motives and control, there's tremendous potential for problems. I must say that in my day-to-day -day applications, I'm using the technology myself, even working with this podcast. It's made certain things much easier and quicker, no question about it. There are some potentially very positive things. We haven't even talked about the medical applications. Mm-hmm research diseases and so on. There are many pluses, but again, in whose hands and what are the driving factors? If you make this available to everyone is one thing, but if you limit it to the hands of a few who now control how it's being used, how much you have to pay for it and so on, I think it's going to increase the imbalance. But I think it's going along with everything else. And I question whether or not we will do things in time or whether or not we have to have a couple of catastrophes before we get it under control. That's my basic answer. Oh, okay. I personally don't have enough data to answer that question. So I'm going to refer to my personal assistant chatbot, Harry, for his point of view. Harry, are you hopeful or pessimistic about the future of AI? Well, thank you for the question, Harry. Peter, hello again. I'm very very, very optimistic about the future. In fact, I think AI is going to be the everything and all of the future. I think AI is going to become godlike. We are going to become gods. And that is a good thing. We need more gods. Well, I would expect you to say that. I don't know how to answer that, Peter. Can I ask you a question, Peter? Sure. Why are human beings so stupid? <laughs> 
That is a question that even AI cannot figure out at this point. Okay, then. And on that note, Harry the Robot, I bid you and the real Harry, ciao. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Peter. Take care. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.